0: Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Today you can open your Bibles up, if you would, to uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly who all would be here, so I wanted to make sure that I made it easy. So that's just the first book, all right? So you can just go right there. Next week, next Sunday marks uh, our 30th year, Brenda and I and our family of coming here to Southeast Texas. Yeah, amazing. 30 years, uh, it's been a wonderful ride. And we have uh, planted uh, works here in our community and around the world in these last 30 years. We have reached out in our communities with a dozen more churches. We've sent families out. And today, as we are meeting here, we have church family that's meeting literally all across Southeast Texas. I mean, we had a motorcycle church meet this morning that was birthed out of our church, a cowboy church meeting now. We have, you know, out in China, we have, uh, you know, a church in Vider and in, and in Groves and in, uh, you know, uh, Port Arthur. And, you know, we, we planted one in Bridge City and, uh, and uh, uh, in Jasper. Uh, we, we, uh, we, you know, uh, Conroe, uh, from our church here, and uh, Sour Lake, uh, uh, ooh, gosh, anyway, all over the place here in our communities, we have planted just, uh, the way you keep ahead of church splits is that you kind of identify those people that would like to do something else, and you get them a leader, and you send them out. And then, you know, it's it's birthing churches instead of splitting churches. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Yeah, that's the, that's the way you do it. And uh, no. <laughs> it's like cell multiplication. Whenever we get full, we just you know, reach out and plant and birth another church or another ministry. On top of that, we have ministries all around the world. Today, because you care and because you have given and because you have uh, in, entrusted your heart and your service to the Lord, we have churches literally around the world. We've sent missionaries that are serving today from our church to Indonesia. They've been there now in Indonesia for, uh, I don't know, uh, eight, ten Twelve years, you know, still just serving the Lord right there in uh, uh, in uh, give me the name of the town, Ken. Do you remember Maruke? I never. I want to say Maruki every time I read it, Maruke. And uh, then as well uh, in Thailand. You know, Pastor Ken and I ran across a, a, a man who was in the ministry in Palestine, Texas, and he was a friend of ours, and he was quitting the ministry and just felt like he had just, just lost out. He, he, he just didn't know what to do, and he was just quitting the ministry. And, 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 and uh, But we felt he was called to the Lord, and so we challenged him and, and uh, uh, you know, ended up uh, you uh ordained him and we sent him 20 years ago to thailand he and his wife they are still there serving in thailand today great church great works great ministry you know uh, uh, women's home re- outreach here from our church you support them you support johannes uh uh there in indonesia you support uh, them in 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 thailand you know um gosh we, we we from russia to where we're going soon pastor robert and charlotte and i are going next month to russia we're going there to, uh, to see the churches that uh, they, uh, we, we sent them 25 years ago. Is it 25? And we're going and doing the 25th anniversary of, uh, of, of the church we planted from our church. You know, more than 30 of you, 36, 38 of you went on that church planting trip with us. You know, um, in India... You know, we're carrying another 30 people to India, 32 people to India this year. Yeah, that's just amazing. You know, we could go on and on from here. The difference is you make 3,000 meals every day in India. The difference that you make, what you do. This year, every one of the children there that's in our children's home will have a Bible. Right now, they do not have a Bible they don't. But our children this year took up money this year and paid, already sent it over, and we will be handing every one of the children a Bible. And some of them have been living there for 5, 7, 10, 12 years without a Bible in our children's home. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, we bought them shoes last year. Our children bought them shoes last year. You know, these are the things that make a difference. You know, I, I don't know how many thousand eggs that uh, Darren and Susan were able to raise for them this year per month this year but thanks Darren and Susan they're you know uh, uh, they were short on eggs even though we did like 18,000 eggs a month there uh, and so uh, isn't that amazing um, it's just amazing what we do together that would not be done don't think it would be done if you were not involved from Kenya East Africa Vietnam to Uh, The radio station that's broadcasting every day, not only into the Arab world, but another radio station that's broadcasting into Laos, Cambodia, every day, the gospel of Jesus Christ, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You paid for that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so very, very much. You make a difference around the world. And so, uh, you know, uh, our 30 years... Uh, let me tell you what in 30 years we've left it better than we found it okay and that was my goal that's what I told the Lord I want to leave it I want to leave every person even you know even if they end up not liking me I want to leave them better than I found them you know and we have accomplished that it's my hope and prayer that I'll do another 30 years okay yeah why not You might say that's a long time, Pastor. Well, I have a friend named Leonard Gardner. He's coming to preach for us here. He started a church up in uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, and he pastored it for 54 years before God called him on the mission field. So I have at least another 24 to reach that goal. Okay? All right. Well, today, if you found the book of Genesis, today we're going to be talking about destiny. Pastor Ken did not know it. He and I don't, uh, you know, we don't necessarily uh, discuss what I'm going to share on. But he, he normally prophetically steps somewhere either on or around my message every Sunday. And here he just talked about God opening doors for you. Somebody, uh, well, that's, well, well, we'll end up talking about some of that. He just was prophetically catching what God is saying. You know, God is speaking. It's like a river that's flowing through here. That shouldn't be hard to imagine. If anyone right now would click on YouTube, don't, but if you did, you would find out that there's something already flowing through here that you're just connecting to. If you had a radio, AM, FM, you know, uh, uh, turn it on. It's already going. It's going. I mean, it's coming through here. Television, turn on some televisions. It's already going through here. Programs, and I mean, it's, it's, it's going through here right now, okay, okay? It's just that what you need is a receiver. And if you... Get a receiver and turn it on to a radio station. You will find out that music has been playing the whole time you were here. You hadn't been hearing it, but someone who has a receiver and has an earplug and uh, you know an, an an AirPod or something in their ear, they are hearing something that you're not hearing. And you're sitting right there beside them. And if you had a receiver, you could hear it. And that's the way prophecy. That's the way the Word of God is. That's what God is doing. It is constant. God is constantly the earth, the whole. Earth is covered and filled with the word of Almighty God, and heaven is constantly speaking into the earth, and worship and angels and and all these things are going on, only we don't see that. And occasionally, we tap into, we get close to, we have a spiritual ear, as the word of God says, that opens up and gets in tune, and we hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. He said, When we hear, and we understand, we embrace, and we do, it changes our life. Wow, amazing, huh? So right now, God is speaking. And some of you are really just today, you're going to catch a glimpse of something that he's saying, and it's going to meet your need. Okay? Some of you are going to catch an inkling of what God is wanting and you're going to share it with someone else this week and it's going to blow them away and meet their need. It's just going to, I mean, it's amazing when we come together and the word of the Lord begins to flow with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Today we are talking about destiny, destiny. While you're finding the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis, let me just uh, tell us a little bit. Since school is starting back, I'm, I'm an educator. I'm, I, that, that's, I love to teach. And so allow me just to teach us a little bit, okay, and something you can share with your children or your families at some time. Uh, let, let, let me talk to you a little bit about camels, okay? You all know camels? <laughs> yeah, well, hey, did you know that camels can go for months in a desert without even a sip of water. Isn't that amazing? In fact, I read recently that if camels have some foliage, if they can find some foliage to eat, they can go up to 10 months without one sip of water. That's amazing. Wow. Well, contrary to what is commonly believed, camels do not store water in their humps. I always thought they did, but they don't. The hump is where they store fat Now of course there is a little water in the fat But the water in the fat is there to break it down and disseminate it through the body because the hump and the fat are for Food not for water that's for energy and for food and they can go for a long time not eating Because of the fat that they store up in their hump So eating and drinking is not something they have to do to go long distances and survive long periods and still be healthy It's just amazing how in the world do they conserve water? Well, God has made the camel with, 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 with design to be able to be this ship in the desert. Do you know when a camel drinks water that, that uh, their red blood cells swell up? They absorb water and become five times larger than normal. And also they are oval. The red blood cells, they're oval instead of round like ours. And that oval shape of the red blood cells allows the blood to, to flow even when it thickens in the heat. And, and, and the moisture that it absorbs allows the whole animal to cool off and, 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 and the thing to just work is just amazing. On top of that, their respiratory system. Do you know when they breathe, like, you know, you and I breathe, you know, whenever they breathe, something is designed by God's design in their respiratory system that they are able to extract water from even the driest of air. And when they breathe, the moisture that is trapped in their nose is sucked into their body and it helps to re-oxygenate and resupply their body with moisture. And then when they exhale... You and I exhale, moisture comes out. You've seen moisture go, oh, you know, and it come out, you know. Uh, theirs is trapped. It, uh, they're, 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 the way their respiratory system works, the moisture exhaling, moisture is trapped, and therefore they conserve all of that water. And then there's these little sacs. They are what's called a rumen animal. They have four stomachs, the rumen, reticulum, omasin, abomasin. I learned that back in uh, FFA back uh, in, I won't tell you, in the 60s. Okay. <laughs> Uh, they're just like a cow. That means that they chew their cud, okay? That means they, they, eat, they eat grass or foliage, and then later on, they regurgitate it and chew it again in the digestive system. And so they can store a lot of food also internally. But around the reticulum, the, 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 one of their stomachs, they have four stomachs, there, there are little water sacks, like little cylindrical cones that when they drink water, and they can drink a lot of water. Do you know a thirsty camel? can drink between, or does drink normally, between 30 and 40 gallons of water in only 15 minutes. Some of them can drink as much as 50 gallons. But the average is between 30 and 40 gallons. And they're designed by God to drink for the future. Even when they're not thirsty, they drink for the future. But just within, you know, four or five minutes after they drink, you can't find any water in their stomach. It's all been absorbed into their system. Amazing. Amazing they're just amazing amazing animals god uh, designed them and they uh, there are a couple of things that really do stick out about them number 1 they can go for days without months without a sip of water and they drink so much and store so much in case they need it well this brings us to our message from God today and allow me to uh, set the stage for today's Bible story uh, from Genesis chapter 24. Uh, When we get to Genesis chapter 24, a few of the characters we see there, uh, one of them is named Abraham. And you know, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, the patriarch, you know, uh, the guy that God called to go to a foreign country and, and told him he would give him the land of Israel, him and his descendants after him. And, and Abraham and Sarah were barren for many years, and then they had a son, and this son's name was Isaac. Now, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 24, Abraham is 140 years old. It's 2,000 years before Christ. Isaac, who is a type of Christ, is 40 years old. And Sarah, Isaac's mother, has just died. Abraham and Isaac, they miss Sarah so much. And so Abraham decides it's time for his son to get married. But there's a problem. Abraham lives in the land of Canaan and and the Canaanites worship false gods and he does not want his son marrying a woman who worships false gods and bringing false gods and idols into his household because he knows that his son Abraham is chosen by God to bear the covenant of Jehovah. And so Abraham left without a lot of other things to do. He's kind of old. He can't just necessarily take his son back and he doesn't want to send his son back to where they came from. So what Abraham does is he brings in his oldest servant, the guy that has served him the longest. His name is uh, Eliezer. And he says to Eliezer, he said, listen, I want you to swear to me that you will not take a wife for my son from the Canaanites but I want you to go back to my homeland, back to where I came from all those years ago, and I want you to take a wife for my son from that place, from my family, those who serve Jehovah. Eliezer said, well, what if she won't come? He said, listen, the God I serve is going to send his angels before you And you're going to prosper and everything's going to be okay. But if you get to that moment and she says no, then you will be released from your oath. And so Eliezer, he loads up 10 camels with the wealth that Abraham had gotten. All kinds of gifts and presents and jewels and rings and bracelets and necklaces and, and, and silver and, and jewels. And, 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 and he loads these camels up with that and provision and he sets out on a journey. Now, if we calculated this journey, if we looked where Hebron in Israel is, I mean, I got to do this in reverse. If we looked where Hebron is in Israel, okay, and went up to Jerusalem And up the Jordan River to the Dead Sea, and went out across Syria and on across almost to Iraq, across the Euphrates River in the northern Mesopotamian Valley, 470 miles along that road that was traveled by the patriarchs. You would find the city of Haran, also called Nahor. Okay? It's right there on the Turkish Syrian border. In that very fertile northern Mesopotamian Valley where it just begins, 470 miles Wow well it would take a camel about 17 days but we can say near three weeks because they walked between 25 and 30 miles per day on their journeys they were fairly swift you know in, uh, in, in taking you across the desert and they didn't have to drink or eat so somewhere near three weeks he would have been on this journey Oh, when Eliezer gets to Haran, he's on the outskirts of the city. He's out by the city well. And the city well in those days was the place to be if you wanted to know anything about anybody. It's like going to the beauty shop today, okay? Or going to a local pub, Okay? I don't know why, but that reminds me of my daughter. Hey, April, I love you. <laughs> she's, she's driving back from Kansas State University back to New Jersey by herself. I love you, honey. God bless you. And she's watching this morning. So, yeah, local pub. Why did it make me think of you, April? And I said, local pub. That should be your brother. He's over in England. He's watching too, probably. Love you, son. Uh, so, okay, back to the well. Listen, when you went to the well in the evenings, when when, when, when people came out to draw water, you could hear anything about anybody and everything about everybody, okay? That's the place to pick up news. And Abraham is looking for a family, okay? So he's sitting out there by the well, and here come these young ladies out to draw water. You got the picture? Okay. Okay. Let's read, beginning in verse 1, Genesis 24. Now, he is at the perfect place, all right? Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And that's where he said, well, what happens if she won't come? He said, well, God's going to send his angels and he'll prosper you. But he said also in verse 8, and if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Now, as I said, Eleazar he, he, he loaded up 10 camels. He left the city of Nahor, also known for the city of Nahor, went uh, uh, there, and he arrived. And he's sitting there at the time when the people are coming out to draw water. And so he knows that, that the God of Abraham Is the one he has to depend on because Abraham you know uh, he had been with Abraham for for years for decades and he had watched God lead Abraham and speak to Abraham and deliver Abraham and do miracles for Abraham so he knows the God of Abraham is powerful and so here he decides I'm going to pray to the God of Abraham and this is what he says while he's sitting there in verse 14 he says now God Let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher, that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now listen, that's just a pretty tall order, okay? Think about it. That's a pretty tall order. Jordan, he's asking God to show him a woman that first of all is going to give this traveler the time of day and a drink of water and then of her own accord, her own volition, just of her own thought, that she's going to offer to pour water and let his camels drink. Remembering, there are ten camels and they drink between 30 and 40 gallons of water each. Where in the world is God going to find a woman like that? Hello? Especially an unmarried teenager. Pretty tall order. Well, next verse, verse 15. And it happened before Eliezer had finished speaking to God that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young, women, young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. Verse 17, now the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. Oh, that's kind. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. That was, I mean, that was more than he asked for. Rebecca didn't just offer to give the camels a drink. She committed herself to drawing water until all ten of them had drank all they wanted. Now, camels, by God's nature, are drinking for the future. She knew that. These are future drinkers. It didn't matter whether they had just had a drink at the last stop. These camels are going to tank up with everything they can. Fresh water from a well that I, I'm not drinking from some old pond or you know some, some you know oasis. My Oh, they drink 30 to 40 gallons. Now, if a person, I calculated this, if a person continued to draw and was drawing with a two gallon bucket, now that's pretty good. That's, you know, 16 pounds or better. Now, the reason I know this is because I was raised in a home on a small farm and we always had animals few cows few horses chickens pigs always and it was my job as a young boy to draw water I had to draw water at the well and then I had to go and dump the water in the trough away from the well because you don't let your animals close to the well because they will contaminate the well okay so where the animals drink and where the well is two different places we learned that in Mexico, didn't we, uh, Darren? Drilling water wells. We don't drill near where they have an outhouse. <laughs> okay. So, here, this young lady is going to go draw water, and two gallons is a pretty good bit. And then she would have to take it to the trough and pour it in the trough and come back. I imagine that if she ran, she might could do one bucket a minute. And I don't think that's possible. But if she did one bucket a minute, I calculated it would take her more than three and a half hours of constant nonstop drawing and running and pouring and running back and drawing. And, you know, it depends on how deep the well was. Now, that's a lot of work. She didn't just meet The minimum criteria of 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 the wife that Eliezer was hoping to find for his master's son she far exceeded his mind and everybody else's expectations verse 20 then Rebecca quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough and look she ran back to the well that that shows distance here and she's going to do this conceivably for hours And she drew water for all his camels. Well, during the process, it doesn't seem that Eliezer is helping her with the water situation. But he is questioning her here and there. And he finds out that she is from the family of Abraham. That she is like Abraham's great, great, great niece and man Amazing! Oh my goodness! This is the family I'm looking for. And so he gives her some some jewelry, and and it just amazes her. And then she says, "Listen, won't you come back, you know, to our home and meet the family?" And he said, "Great!" And he went back and he gave them gifts, and he began to tell them of all that God had done for Abraham. And they knew knew Abraham. Abraham had lived in Haran back uh, 75 years ago, and uh, you know, 65 years ago. And and you know, they 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 uh, uh, whoa, he has been blessed in this land and he has a son and 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 then Eliezer began to tell him let me tell you what I'm doing here I came on a mission to find a wife for Abraham's son Isaac and and I went to this well and I prayed and I said God you know if there comes a woman out that's willing to give me a drink and then she says that she'll you know draw for the camels well that's the one and that happened and you know uh, her brother Rebecca's brother named Laban and her mother. Her mother was the head of the house at this time, it says. It was her mother's household. They both listened and they are in awe. Who can deny that Almighty God has chosen this woman? I mean, this this was a God thing. It was big. It was amazing. It was miraculous. Yet, they had one question. The question they had was it was not is this God it was not is this awesome it was not you know the one question they had was well does she want to is she willing to go you see because that's what it comes down to sometimes people can have a lot of answers and even know it's God And understand they're in the middle of a miraculous moment. But yet the question that each one of us face is, well, do we really want to? Are we going to? Verse 57. So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and all his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them then rebecca and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the man so the servant took rebecca and departed wow now i'm going to just tell you that i believe with all of my heart that rebecca was special she was a child of destiny She had a calling of God upon her life. Very specific, very special, chosen by God for this moment. She was unaware of it. Her mom was not aware of it. Her brother was not aware of it. You know, Eliezer was not aware of it. I mean, no one knew it. She didn't know it, but yet... The hand of God was upon her. She was special. She had a calling. She had a destiny. She had a purpose. There was something that God wanted her to do, that that he wanted her to do it more than anyone else, and she was better at it. She had been prepared. She had been positioned, but yet it was still up to her whether she would do it or not. She was a child of destiny, and so are you. No less. Rebecca is the greatest picture, the greatest representation in the Old Testament of the New Testament church. We being the bride of Christ. But yet, every one of us, Jesus said, We stand in a greater place than any one of those characters in the Old Testament could stand. Because as she represents the bride of Christ, we are the bride of Christ. Even more special than Jesus said, more special even than his mother Mary. That's what he said. You are are called by God you may not know it your mother may not know it your brother may not know it no one in your world may know it but you are being prepared and you are being positioned don't think that you aren't there's something that you can do that you have been called to do that you have been prepared to do and there's something God wants you to do that you can do better than anyone else and for her Thousands of millions of lives depended on her saying yes. How many eternities depend on you saying yes? You see, God, without our knowledge, has made each one of us special in his own plan. He has this big plan. You know, and... Like the the poor widow woman, the widow of Zarephath, if you read 1 Kings 17. In 1 Kings 17, this poor widow woman, she was facing a challenge. The prophet Elijah came through her town and he looked like just a bum, just just a homeless bum. And yet he said to her, He said, if you will make me a cake from the last bit of your oil and meal, instead of giving it to your son, if you will give me your last meal, if you will give me your son's last meal, then God is miraculously going to take care of you. Now, let me tell you, if she had come to my office for counsel, I would have told her, forget it, don't do it. If she had a called and a shouted out to you or called you, you would have told her no. That's your son's last meal. That's your last meal. There's a drought going on, and there's no harvest in the fields. No, I mean, come on, isn't there another way? Perhaps you could tell him, "Well, I tell you what. Let me and my son eat first, and if God really wants you to live, if He gives more, we'll give it to you. We'll give you the second one." I mean, there's all kinds of things I could think about, but you see, that widow woman in Zarephath didn't think about any of those things because there was something on the inside of her. There was something turning on the inside of her. Something had been happening here. Destiny was crying out to her, and whenever the prophet gave her a chance, whenever he opened up a door and said, this is your opportunity, on the inside of that widow of Zarephath, something in here said, yes, yes. That's my chance. It's the voice of God. He awakened the command of God in her life and she stepped out in faith and did something that no one else would have imagined was reasonable or practical or spiritual. But she trusted in the destiny, in that seed that God put there. Queen Esther. You remember Queen Esther? Esther had been orphaned as a young girl and raised by her cousin. And later on, she was collected with a whole group of other young ladies and brought before the king, and the king chose her to be his queen. And when she became the queen, she had power and position. She had everything she wanted. She lacked nothing. There was only one thing that she could not do. She could not enter into the king's presence unannounced, uninvited, or it meant death to her unless the king benevolently gave her a pardon, which was not the norm. Yet she was asked by her cousin, Mordecai, the servant of the Lord. She was asked to go before the king and to make intercession for her nation. She sent back word and said, I cannot. I cannot. It's too great a price. It's too great a cost. I cannot. And Mordecai spoke to her the word of God, and this is what he said to her. He said, if you hold your peace at this time, if you refuse to do what you know is the Spirit of God leading you to do it, if you refuse and hold your peace, enlargement and deliverance will rise to the Jews from another place. But you, Esther, you will miss your destined moment. You will miss your chance to participate in the plan of God. Wow. With that, Esther had but one request. Pray for me. Pray for me. You don't have to pray for me that I can understand what God wants. You just pray for me that, that, that I'll actually do it. And that's where many of us are in moments whenever doors of destiny and opportunity open up for us, something that God wants us to do. It could be witnessing to a neighbor. It could be sharing the love of Christ to, to someone. And, you know, you might be like Rebecca, like Queen Esther. Rebecca was in a very good place. She was wealthy. She was from a well-to-do family. She had it all. She didn't have to do anything. She could have lived her life out in, in comfort and, and convenience. And, and, and you know, she, she was not in need. God wasn't looking through, you know, the trash piles of life trying to find somebody who will serve him because they're not educated and don't have any better sense. That's a picture that the world has about the church. God was looking, just like he was looking in the palace, just like he was looking there at Rebecca from this well-to-do family. She had everything going for her. Stepping out of where she was into the unknown was a challenge, but yet on the inside of her, she felt like God was opening a door. Perhaps she had dreamed as a young girl that something. You no, know, perhaps she had caught glimpses of something better, a different life. Maybe she had an inkling or, or, or some, you know, a, a twinge, uh, you know, a glimpse of whatever. You know, you know what I'm talking about, because. The airwaves are filled with the Word of God. And many times we're we're, we're sitting in our silence, we're driving down a road, we wake in the morning or or, 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 or we're eating our lunch and all of a sudden we catch a glimpse of something that we're not living, something that's not yet, something that's greater, something that's calling us on. When the door opens and you know it, you have a choice to make. Do I step through? Do I trust God with my life? You see, you're the only one who can know the will of God for your life. No one else can. God had prepared and positioned Rebecca. No doubt he had been working in her life all of her life because when we come to know her in the 24th chapter of Genesis, she is already a kind and caring, hardworking woman willing to trust God and to step out into a future that she cannot control, that something she's never experienced, something she's never known. You see... God had prepared her even though she was perhaps unaware yet she had been led to a moment in life when a door of opportunity was open a door of destiny was open to her why was it open to her because number 1 she was where she should be let me encourage you you need to be where you should be in life don't don't trade Partying and running around and you know Eliezer did not go to the nightclubs looking for a wife for Isaac <laughs> good. Hello, this is some good stuff yeah. Okay She was where she should be what was she? she was engaged with family That's what he was looking for he had been sent out to look for family she number two was doing what she should be doing she was busy about the common chores of life never underestimate the normal day in day out humdrum ordinary things of life for it it, it, it's the ordinary things that prepare us for the extraordinary things if we cannot be great in our ordinary we will never qualify for extraordinary opportunities just ask, you know, Captain Sully, who landed the plane out in in you know in in, in, in New York in the Hudson River, was it? Yeah. Yeah. You remember what he said? He said, It was my daily deposit into the bank. Of things that I should do those little monotonous day in and day out doing it over and over and over the very same way doing what I should be doing time and time and time and time again that made that great deposit into that bank that one day when I needed to make a major withdrawal I had it in the bank and there he just landed it because he was great in his ordinary he was boringly great in his ordinary. <laughs> I know the temptations. I'm a pilot. I know the temptations of not pre-flighting. I know being in a hurry and, and, you know, six planes in front of you and 10 planes behind you and, and you're needing, you know, you know, to go through your checklist and to make, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, but if you don't, Boy, one day I took off out of here. I was doing about 120 miles an hour when I got, I I was about four foot off the ground, got to the end of the runway, and I just pulled it up. When I went through 80 feet, that engine went and stopped. It was no time at that point to go through my emergency checklist, try to remember what it was. I'd gone through that on the ground, on the ground, on the ground, over and over and over, hanger flying, hanger flying, hangar flying, and what I did was I told a guy who was with me, I said, you got the radio, I got the plane. He called an emergency, and I just pulled that plane just about as steep as I could get it, and I bled off my, my airspeed, Until it got to its stall point and I could hear the horn going Not gonna fly not gonna fly and I kicked left rudder and it went And I landed back on the runway (laughs) Textbook It couldn't have happened any other way it had to happen according to the book well, then I need to have read the book before I got in that situation. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of being great in your ordinary. It was J.L. who chose a tent peg to drive through Sisera's head. Why? Because it was her tent peg. It was her hammer. She was a homemaker, stretching the cords of the tent every day. That's why with one blow, that's all it took because she was great and ordinary she qualified for extraordinary be found doing what you should be doing busy about the common chores of life and the common duties of life Rebecca was able to take advantage of her moment because she was content and productive God was not looking for somebody was unhappy with where they were to promote them that just doesn't happen no I don't, I don't go around my business looking for the most unhappy person to, to, to promote them and give them a raise. Hello? Oh. For years, with the largest employer in my hometown for 19 years. I didn't go around looking for the most unproductive, aggravated, frustrated, irritated, contentious person and make them the manager. I wasn't doing that. I look around for the happiest, most content and productive person. Somebody that likes what they're doing. That's in love with their job. That absolutely like like she was. She's you know this this, this happy young lady walking down there and, and 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 got a picture and you know quickly let it down and poured it in her hand. She was happy and she's hey let let me draw for your camels too. And then she ran over and poured it. And the Bible says she ran back to the well. She was happy. She was productive. She was content. She was encouraging. And that's the, I mean, that's the people that God's looking for to give them greater opportunities in life. And number four, she was willing to work harder with the fruits of kindness as her only reward. She wasn't looking for jewels. She didn't know she was going to get a bracelet. She wasn't bargaining. She didn't say, well, I'll do it for $12. What you got on those camels? She was willing to work harder for nothing more than just the personal satisfaction that I helped somebody, that I did something for somebody that day, and she was happy to do it. Oh, my goodness. Well, that word from God gave her all the security she needed. It filled in the gaps of things that she could not explain or understand. We don't have to know everything. Everything when we know who. I'm going to encourage you in a couple of different arenas of life right now. I'm just going to encourage you with a couple of minutes that we have left that you would open up your heart to God and and tell him that, that, you know, uh, you're a candidate for extraordinary service. Now, the wonderful thing about God is that he offers you something and you say no, he'll find someone else to do it. He's got a plan, and he will succeed. We have a chance to participate. But then you know what he'll do? His mercies are new every morning. He'll come back around and keep working on you, preparing you, positioning you. And then whenever you are ready, whenever you say, you know, God, I, I, I trust you. Lord, Lord, just do whatever you want to. He'll offer you another door of opportunity. And he'll keep offering you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. This was not her last opportunity. God will open up so many doors. His mercies are new every morning. You might can say, no, I'm not going to do this, God, but you can't keep him from asking you to do something else. And working on you and preparing you and preparing you and giving you another job, another task, another task. God needs more laborers, not less. Okay, He's not wasting any one of us. He might have to file us down a little bit so that we'll fit into the next piece, you know, (laughs) Uh, If one piece of the puzzle says no to him, he may just, you know, grab another one, you know, uh, prepare it and stick it right in. Because he's got a picture that he is painting. And it's a picture for eternity. It's a picture of redemption. And 7 billion people today need to know about Jesus. And there's someone in your world that you are perfect to tell. Perfect. You can do that. Something in here wakes up. Next time, don't say no. Go for it. God will cover the gaps. Go for it. It might be a long ride. And for her, you know, it was years that she was barren. But you know, the end of her life tells a story that she was blessed by God. She is the mother of thousands of millions. In fact, she is one of the grandmothers of Jesus, and therefore one of mine. Wow. Amazing. Yeah.